Well, come on now, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Make a little bit of noise. Come on, you excited? I'm super excited about today because today, if you're, if you're visiting with us, if you're first time, first time in a long time, I just want you to know this. We are one church in three locations. Uh, 30 years ago, we launched our second campus in Grayson. We love you guys and Pastor Aaron, what God's doing there in Grayson. And today is our grand opening in our Ashland campus. Come on, can we go for Ashland campus? Yes, that's exciting. I'm super excited, man. What God's gonna do out there today for Pastor Derek and in and, and, and the region and Boyd County and Carter County and Rowan, all surrounding counties, what we're seeing God doing is just unbelievable. So uh, if you know anybody between here and the West Virginia line, even in West Virginia or Ohio, and you know anybody say, hey, you want a physical location? We have three locations. We'd love for you to join us because I'm telling you what, we think the best is yet to come. Now, we're in this new series called Cross Equals Love, and I'm telling you what, we're gonna have Easter every Sunday for the next seven weeks. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to wait to Easter. We're gonna have Easter every single Sunday. This series, we, we branded the series before, but the message has always been different. And this, I believe, might be our third or fourth year doing Cross Equals Love. But I'm really excited about this series because this is something I've never done before. I've always wanted to do it, but I, I, I never really walked through this. And that is to lead the church through and do a discipleship or a Bible study, however you wanna call it, through this last seven statements of Jesus on the cross. And so we're gonna be looking at the cross for the next seven weeks. We're gonna look at the statements that came from Jesus' mouth, why he hung on the cross for you and me. And so preparing for this message, I thought, you know what, let's go Google famous last words. I thought this would be cool, right? And so I started Googling all these famous last words and famous people and people I'd never heard of before. And after about a few minutes into it, I went, dude, this is like sick. Like, this is very morbid. Like, I'm listening to like people's last words on their deathbed and it ain't fun. Like, I'm like, I know that girl's on medication right there when she said that. There's no way she's gonna say that in our last words. Like, it was like, after about a few minutes into it, I was like, you know, let's just stick to Jesus' last words and don't worry about anybody else's. So there's no like introduction to famous last words. And so I really, I'm really excited about this. So if you have your Bibles, grab, grab it and go to Luke chapter 23. And if you have your phone, you can go to Luke 23 on the New Living Translation I'm gonna be using. Luke chapter 23, so I'm really excited. We're gonna walk through this. You hang out with me so we give some background and some context to this story. And so you can find what I'm about to say in Luke 22 leading up to this. Uh, but there's the disciples that Jesus picked. We know this, right? He had 12 disciples. And one of them decided he was gonna betray Jesus. And so the religious people got together and said, how are we gonna do this? How are we we gotta find an insider. We gotta find someone on the inside to do this. So the Bible tells us in Luke 22 that Satan entered Judas. And Judas says, I'm gonna betray Jesus. And so for some money, he says, I tell you what, I'll lead you to the place where Jesus is most vulnerable and then you can arrest him and you can take him out. So right after Jesus, and, I mean, excuse me, Judas decided to betray Jesus, Jesus says, it's time for the Passover. So he sent the disciples in and he found this little place and they found this little room upstairs where they would celebrate the first time we know of as the Lord's Supper. And it's in this moment they're up here celebrating, they're in this place. I wish I had time, I wish I had a picture to walk you through. There's so much good stuff right here. But they're upstairs, and this is where, if you remember, where Jesus takes his towel and he washes the disciples' feet. And this is where they take communion for the first time, and Jesus entered in a new covenant. But right before that, I want to share this with you. Back then, if you go and look at how they ate or when they reclined at, at the table, I want you to think of this table as not a horseshoe, but kind of half of a box. It would go like this and square on the end. So it's kind of like a box. I know it's hard for you to see this if you're watching online, but just think, think of a box, cut it in half. And so they would wrap around the table like that. Well, the table would be maybe a foot off the ground, 18 inches. And so instead of setting, you really couldn't set, they would recline. 
And the way that they would recline is they would lay down on their left side with their feet out from them. And imagine this is the table. I would lay down and my feet would be out from me. And as I eat, I would reach over here, grab something to eat, and I would eat laying down. It was reclining at the table. Well, we know that in the, in, according to customs that there was always a, a guest of honor or a seat of honor. This is where the honor person sat. Guess who sat in the seat of honor? Jesus, it's Sunday school, y'all. Jesus is always the answer. Come on, Jesus, okay. Jesus, and so he's sitting there at, at, the, at the guest of honor. Now, who was sitting on the right or left was always debatable. Really, it was the first disciples who got there got to sit on this left or right. If you remember, they argued about this. Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, who gets to sit on your left and who gets to sit on your right? What does Jesus say? Uh, that's not up to me, that's up to my father. He gets to determine that. But the disciples wanted to, to rush to say who would be the one that sits beside Jesus. So Jesus is laying back, he's laying down, and then there would be somebody, a disciple laying in front of him, and Jesus would see their back, and then there would be someone behind Jesus as well. So Jesus would turn around and he would talk like this if he wanted to talk to the person behind him. This is the custom, this is how they lay down. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but when you read the context and understand what's going on and how they used to eat and the, and the, and, and the sitting of the table, it's very clear that the person laying in front of Jesus is the Apostle John. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible says that the Apostle John leaned back on Jesus' breast at the dinner table of the Passover. So if Jesus is laying down on his side, the only person who could lean back on his breast in front of him would be the Apostle John, which I believe was the youngest of all the apostles. And so here the Apostle John is sitting on his right side at the table. Well, then they go around and Jesus says, hey, tonight's gonna be kind of crazy. One of you dudes in here are going to deny me and you're gonna give me up and you're gonna, you're gonna go against me. Well, the disciples started arguing, well, who could it be? And Peter's like, oh, it would never be me. And I bet it's Bartholomew. I bet it's him. I knew it was always him. There's some. And so the disciples went back and forth. Who's gonna betray Jesus? Jesus makes this comment. Remember, laying at the table, sitting at the table. Jesus says, the one who dips bread with me will be the one who denies me. Well, the only way you're gonna dip bread with Jesus is to be sitting beside Jesus. We know it wasn't the Apostle John. That means Judas was behind Jesus, sitting on the left side of the guest of honor. So if you'd have walked in and you was outside and you saw John and Judas on the side of Jesus, you was like, man, that must be Jesus' closest friends. Jesus put them beside the guest of honor. Jesus reaches over to dip his bread, and so does Judas. And the one who dips for me is the one who's passed. So I want you to picture this. The one who's about to betray Jesus is sitting beside the guest of honor, right next to him, beside him, all night long, and is about to betray him. And, Ju and Judas is leave. And when Judas leaves, we know what happens, right? He stands up and says, this is the bread, and he breaks it. This is my body, which was given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the bread, and then he took the third cup, which is a cup for suffering. He said, this is, this is my my." This is the cup of blood, a new covenant made for you. This is the time that he changed the whole Bible right here at that very moment. We have the old covenant and we have the new covenant. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. The word covenant and testament is interchangeable. And what Jesus says, this issue is in the New Testament, the new covenant. Do this as you remember me. And they drunk the blood and they celebrated what we know as communion, the very first one, but over at the Passover time. Now, after that was over, Jesus was like, hey, listen, here's what's gonna happen. I'm, I'm gonna die. And Peter says, uh-uh, you ain't gonna die on my watch, bro. I'm going, I'll go to prison for you. I will die for you, and I will do whatever it takes. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, listen to me. Satan has come and asked me to sift you, a.k.a. Satan asked me to take, let him take you out. But I want you to know, I've prayed for you, and when you come back, restore and strengthen your brothers. Now, that's fascinating, because here's some crazy news. 
good and bad news. Here's the good news. Satan cannot touch us unless God allows it. That's good news. Here's the bad news. Sometimes he allows it. And we see this all the way through the scripture. And Peter's like, I'll die for you. And, and, and Jesus is like, Peter, remember when I sent you out to preach the gospel? He's like, yeah. He said, remember I told you don't take money bags, don't take a purse, don't take anything with you. Remember that? Don't just de de depend on the people to provide. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, well, the time has come now. I want you to go sell your cloak. And if you don't have a sword, buy a sword. And all the disciples says, we have two swords among us. Is that enough? And Jesus says, that's enough. Let's go to the garden. And so they head up to the, the garden, and you know the story. Jesus goes and he prays, and, and, and he gets before his father, and he says, Father, is there any way that this could pass? May your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. And the Bible says that the angels came and they ministered to Jesus because he was so tense and so stressed that his sweat dropped as blood was dropping. He was just sweating because he knew what he was about to do. He gets up, and guess who comes? Here comes Judas leading the band of guys to take him out. Jesus says, Judas, you're here to betray me with a kiss. And we know that G Judas leans over and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And as soon as they do, they said, that's him, arrest him. The disciples scream, it's now the time you want us to fight. We have our swords. And then Peter, Peter takes out a sword and he cuts the high priest slave's right ear off. Now listen, I, I think he was trying to cut his head off, but he's a fisherman. He's not good with the sword. That's my opinion. That's how I think. I think he tried to do it. And all of a sudden, Jesus rebuked him and said, stop it. Now, if you're a disciple, you're probably pretty confused right now. Jesus, you told me to sell my cloak to buy a sword. We only have two swords. Peter has one of them. And Peter's like, I thought you told me that this is the time to get a sword. So see, don't just start pushing Peter off. He wanted to defend Jesus. He wanted to protect Jesus. He says, no, this is not how we're going to do it. And then watch this. Watch this. Jesus bends down and picks up homeboy's right ear and puts it back on and heals him. And heals him right there. Now, come on. If you're there to arrest Jesus, I'd be like, y'all can get him. Y'all go get that boy. I, I ain't going to touch him. Like, I just saw him pick an ear up and put it back on this dude's head. I ain't touching him. Like, come on. I, the Bible's so fascinating, man. Y'all should read it sometime. It's so good. And it's like, man, that is unbelievable. And he puts and he heals the high priest slave's ear. And they arrest Jesus. And they take him to the council. And all of a sudden, a girl comes up to, a woman comes up to Peter and says, hey, what you, you with Jesus? What you, aren't, aren't you one of his boys? And he's like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. And then somebody comes up and says, hey, you're from Galilee. You got that like Southern Galilean style accent. So I know you're from Galilee. You got to be with Jesus. And he denies. He says, I don't know who you're talking about. And this little old girl comes up and says, I know you were with them. We saw that you were with them. And Peter calls down one of the strongest Greek negative curses on himself in the Greek language. He calls it down on the pawns of himself and basically he curses himself saying, I never, ever, ever knew him. And then all of a sudden a rooster crowed and he remembered that right after Passover, he said, Satan came and asked to sift you. But here's what's gonna happen, Peter. You're gonna deny me three times before tomorrow morning. And when you do, I want you to Strengthen your brothers when you come back. And he says, I will never deny you. All of a sudden, the rooster crowed three times and he realized, strike one, strike two, strike three. And the Bible says he turned his head, Peter did, over and he connected and he saw Jesus face to face because he was hiding from the rebels who arrested Jesus. And he saw Jesus face to face in his eyes. They made eye contact. Could you imagine what that would look like? He made eye contact with Jesus, and all of a sudden he remembered, I would die for you. I would go to the cross for you. I would go to prison for you. No, you're going to deny me. I would never deny you. And he just denied him three times. And the Bible says Peter ran out weeping, weeping 
because he knew what happened. So the council finds him guilty of nothing. There's no crime and he takes him before Pilate because they're not allowed to crucify people and do things to people unless they give these permission. They say, listen, we found a criminal here. His name is Jesus. We want you to take a look into this. Pilate goes and he meets with Jesus, says, you're the son of God, you're the king of kings, I am who you say I am, and all this stuff. And they question him, but Jesus didn't answer. Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with this dude. There's nothing wrong. And somebody said, I heard Herod's in town. Well, since he's part of that group, won't you send him to Herod and let Herod take care of him? So they take Jesus to Herod. Herod said, been waiting to meet Jesus. He's heard all about Jesus. He couldn't wait to meet him. And so he finally meets Jesus face to face and say, Jesus, what's up, man? What's going on? These guys say, you're, these, you're the king of the Jews. They said, you're these bad guys, this rebel. What's, what's up? And Jesus don't say anything. Herod says, man, this is crazy. Y'all guys are lunatics. There's nothing wrong with this guy. He's not performed any criminal jobs. There's nothing against him. And so I say he's guilty. I'm done with him. Send him back. So they take Jesus back to Pilate. And Pilate says, wait, Herod didn't find nothing wrong? I don't find nothing wrong? Listen, there's nothing wrong. If you want to, just go beat him, flog him, and then send him home. But there's, he's not a criminal. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. Then all of a sudden, they start screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, don't forget, these are the same people on Palm Sunday when he rode in on the donkey. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to God, because here comes our deliverer. The same people who screamed Hosanna are the same people saying, crucify him, crucify him. Well, it was custom at this time that Pilate was allowed to release one prisoner during this festival or during this time. And so Pilate says, okay, well, I said I will release one. Who do you want to release? you want Jesus or somebody else? And they started screaming, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. And so Pilate says, hey, listen, this is on you. Release Barabbas, y'all take Jesus, see you next year, peace out, walks away. And that's what we pick up in our story. That's all the background. Y'all ready for the sermon? Okay, I knew you are, I knew you are, I knew you are. And so go with me in Luke chapter 23. This is, this is this, that was all background. You gotta get the context of what's happening. And so here is the part I wanna pick up in Luke 23, verse 26. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, y'all excited today. All right, here we go, let's go. Verse 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Okay, let's stop. What's happening right now in, in the town of Jerusalem? The Passover. So if you're part of the Passover and you're a Jew, you make the pilgrims, you make the trek all the way back here to celebrate. So we know that Simon's from Cyrene and he's here just to you know, just to enjoy the Passover. He brings his family, brings his kid, brings his wife, everything's going great. And so he's like, man, what's all this problem? Why is this ruckus? What's going on? Who's this person they're crucifying? He's just part of the Passover. He's just here to celebrate. He's just a normal Jew, dude, coming down here, hanging out, going on, uh, fulfilling what the God wants him to do. And next thing you know, Jesus is carrying his eye beam. Now, when you picture this, don't picture the cross like a full-blown cross. It was the beam to the cross that they would carry when they crucified you. So Jesus was carrying the beam and then when they got to Golgotha, we'll look here just in a moment, Skull Mountain, that's when they put him on the cross. So he's carrying this eye beam on his shoulder, but he'd just been beat to death, flogged, put a crown on his head of thorns, has hardly any energy, and he falls down. Well, we assume he falls down because he can't carry it anymore. So now the Roman soldier's like, who's gonna pick it up? I ain't touching it. Because the picture of the cross of crucifixion is a picture of condemnation. No Roman soldier is going to pick up that cross. We're going to make you. And see, the Roman soldiers were brutal, y'all. I mean brutal. Like, they invented this, like crucifixion. They know exactly how to. In fact, it's one of the most horrible deaths you can die. You, death, you die by suffocation. Your lungs collapse on you, and you die suffocating yourself to death on a cross. It's horrible. 
It's a horrible way to die. And the, and the Romans crucified thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Jesus wasn't the only person who'd been crucified. They just perfected it before Jesus ever got there. And so they're like, I ain't picking it up. You pick it up. I ain't touching it. Well, who are we going to get? So they say, hey, you, come here. Guess who you is? Simon from Cyrene. Hey, Simon, I need you to do something for me. Yo, what's up? I need you to pick up that I-beam and I need you to take it. Now, I don't know the Bible tells us, but he's a Jew. He don't want to be associated with the cross. He don't want to be associated with crucifixion. He don't want to be associated with, with uncleanliness. He don't want to be associated with condemnation. I don't want to pick that up. Then we know something must have happened because the Roman soldier takes his sword and say, yo, dog, pick up the beam. Now, when you get your sword out, yes, sir, I'll do what you want me to do because you don't want to mess with the Roman soldiers. So what does he do? So Simon picks up the beam and carries it all the way to Skull Mountain, to Golgotha in Aramaic, Calvary in Greek. So Simon said Jesus died on Calvary. Yes, Golgotha, Calvary, and Skull Mountain is all the same because the mountain was shaped and looked like a skull. So that's why they call it the skull. And so he carries it all the way up there for Jesus to be crucified, nailed to the tree. And so they get to that point, they carry it up there. And then in verse 27, it said, a large crowd trailed behind him, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women, are the women who are childless. The wombs that have not borne a child and the breast that's never been nursed. People will beg, this is so prophetic. People will beg the mountains, fall on us. Please, with the hills, the mountain, to bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when this is dry? Now this is a beautiful prophecy that's, that's been told in Hosea chapter 10, and we find in Revelations chapter 6, verse 16, it says, in the end, when judgment comes, people will beg that you're gonna, you're gonna hope the goodness you never have children for what's gonna happen to your children, and you're gonna beg for the mountains just to fall on you and crush you because you don't wanna see the judgments that is coming. And just for the record here, what we see happening right now in our world should not shock us one single bit. I tell you what, I always thought, would I ever see Jesus return whenever uh, in my day, in, in my generation, you know, because he could come back at any moment. I thought, you know, if God allows me to live 70 to 80 years, would I see that happen? I, I kind of wrote it off going, it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but Lord Jesus come now and I'm ready and I long to see you face to face. Why? Because it'd be awesome to kind of bypass death. Wouldn't it be awesome to just bypass death, go straight to heaven? That would be amazing. Okay, that might be selfish, but hey, that'd be cool. I'd like to be able to do that. And then all of a sudden you're seeing what's happening right now in our world. I'm telling you what, folks, the, the, the stage is getting ready for something to take place. And what we see with Russia and Ukraine and the European Union, and the, I'm telling you what, it, things are getting ready for to be ushered in. It's in motion. It may, I don't know how long it will be. It could be today. It could be 100 years from now. I have no idea. But I'm telling you what, we are living in the last days, y'all. And I don't say that to scare you because you don't run to Jesus because you're scared. You come to Jesus because of his kindness and his love. But let me tell you what Jesus says to those who don't know me and, and don't see me and, and reject me, you're going to wish you were never born. So here on the cross, when he could bring all the judgment, he could call down legions upon legions and in one word, destroy the whole planet. He says, wait, 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 there's going to come a time you're going to wish you weren't even born. And that judgment's going to come. And I'm gonna wait for that judgment to come. And that's what he's saying prophetically here from Hosea chapter 10 all the way to Revelation chapter six. Then verse 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. This is where we get the three crosses. If you see three crosses on the hill somewhere, there's one on the left, one on the right, Jesus in the middle. They came to the place called the skull, 
Now we know this, in, in, Ar in Aramaic it would be Golgotha. In Greek, it's Calvary. We know this from all great old hymn songs, right? When we say he went to Calvary, died on Calvary. This is where you're talking about, right here in Calvary. They nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And here it is, here's a statement. This is the first statement Jesus utters on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And then all of a sudden the soldiers begin to gamble for his clothes by throwing dice at the foot of the cross. See, we don't see that much Jesus beat, stripped, but he hung naked on the cross. I don't know if you know that or not. Our pictures obviously don't show that. And they ripped his clothes off and they began to cast lots and dice to see who's gonna get the linen, who's gonna get this piece, who's gonna get this piece. But the soldiers had no idea that they are fulfilling a prophecy found in Psalms 22. It says that they will cast dice, they will roll dice for the Messiah's clothing. When he's, at, when he's dying. They had no idea. That is one prophecy. Listen, one prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus is enough. Do you know there's over 300 prophecies alone fulfilled just in Jesus? Hey, math guys, figure that stat out for me. What's the odds of 300 prophecies fulfilled in one person? One's enough. And Psalms 22 says that they rolled dice and they cast at the feet of the cross to take his linens from him. And then Jesus looks down and here's what he says. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, do you think that would be your last words? Falsely accused, you've never done anything. In fact, you've been sinless your whole life. You've never done anything wrong, you never did anything, and all of a sudden you've been falsely accused. You're about to die of the most horrific death that you can imagine. You're nailed to a cross, utterly, I mean, just humanity. Just, we couldn't even picture what Jesus would look like. He don't even look like a human because he's been beat so bad. We don't have none of those pictures. Can't even make out who he was. And he went all through that. And what does he say in his very last words on his deathbed? Forgive. Because God, they don't know what they're doing. Now, we do know they knew they were doing to Jesus. They were killing Jesus. They were murdering Jesus. So we get that. They didn't know the big picture of what they were doing. And who is he saying, I forgive? Could he be talking just to the soldiers? Forgive them because they're casting dice? Maybe. Could he be talking to his accusers and say, God, the Jewish people, they don't understand these righteous, these leaders, they don't understand what they've done. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Probably. We see in Acts, Stephen does the same thing when he's stoned to death. He says the exact same words that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, even while he's being stoned. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And so it led me to ask this question. How does God forgive us? Because some of you here today, you're forgiven, but you don't feel forgiven. And it really realize that you think, you, you, you know you're forgiven, but you don't feel forgiven, and that's just because you don't understand how God forgives us. Because really, if you put people, kind of push them back in a corner, and you kind of say, hey, tell me, how, are you completely forgiven? You would say yes, but then there's always, typically there's always like, well, I think so. There is that one time or that one sin or that one thing and that one thing in your life, you're like, I just don't know if God's really forgiven me of that. I, I think he has. You know the Bible is, lets us know that we don't have to think so, that we can know so. You can know that you've been completely forgiven. You don't have to think hope. Well, I hope I have. I think I have. I feel like I have. Or man, the Bible says I've been forgiven, but pastor, I sure don't feel forgiven. I still feel guilty. I still feel dirty. I still feel shame. I still feel pain. I still, and you fill in the blanks. And the reason why is because we don't understand how God forgives us. 
And so what I wanna share with you today is how does God forgive us? When he stands on the cross and Father, forgive them, if he can forgive his enemies, the same forgiven is given to us. Why? Because we were enemies of God. We were once far off. But praise be to God that yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so how does God forgive us? And here's my belief. I think if you'll get this and grasp this, it can really change your life. And so the first way that God forgives us is that God forgives us generously. Like God will forgive us, watch this, generously. Not just a little bit. Hey, this will give you a little bit of grace here. No, God forgives us generously. Look what the scripture says in Isaiah 55, seven. It says, let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. He don't just give a little bit of mercy. Well, you know what? I don't know if you deserve all my forgiveness. I'm just gonna forgive you a little bit. He forgives us generously. Now, I want you to let that set in for you that God's grace continues to forgive us. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Gives us generously. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Which where there's sin, there'd be more grace. So then some say, well, then can I just keep on sinning so God's grace can abound? And he says, by no means to do that. So when you understand that God forgives you generously, that begins to change life. But this one's the big one right here. This is the big one, because this is where we miss it, is that God forgives me completely. This one's the big one. This is where some of you don't feel like you're completely forgiven. I think I am. I might be. Well, I am, but I don't feel. But when you understand the totality of this, that God has completely, completely forgiven you. Like I'm talking about like your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. I'm talking about a complete forgiveness. Listen to what the scripture says in Colossians chapter two. Paul says, you were dead in your sins. And because of your sinful nature, that was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. Everybody say all. I looked that word up in the Greek, all. You know what it means? All. Every single one. On September the 2nd, 1997, in my dorm room at Morris State University, God forgave me of all my sin. All the sin I've ever done, did do, and will do for the rest of my life. And somebody's like, how is that possible? It's because so many people don't understand the completely forgiveness of God. They think God saved me, but then I've got to work and do good things to keep God forgiving me for the rest of my life. Some of you here today in person because you think by being here kind of makes God happy with you, kind of makes you right with God because you're trying to pay back God for what he's done in your life. Listen, your good works will never save you. It's not Jesus plus come to church, Jesus plus read your Bible, Jesus plus tithe, Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus Jesus plus Jesus that makes you right with God. And so don't think you're here trying to work your way going, well, I don't feel completely forgiven, so I'm gonna go to church and check it off and maybe I'll feel better with God. No, 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 listen to me, honey. What makes you forgiven is Jesus. That's it. And we don't understand that. And listen, most people don't even teach that. They say grace saves you, but works keep you. That's heresy. My sin can never undo what Jesus did for me on the cross. No way can my sin undo what he done for me. And watch this, when Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins, all my sins were future. I wasn't even born yet. Amen. I'm not even committing them yet, but Jesus forgave every single one of them. See, this is where we miss it. We don't understand the complete forgiveness of God. 
We want to pay it back, and we want to pay it back. Say, God, I'll pay it back. I don't feel forgiven. Maybe if I go to church, maybe if I read my Bible, maybe if I try to be good, maybe if I drop a 20 in a bucket when it comes by, that God, some way I can please you. And God's like, listen to me. That's not what makes you right with me. It's what my son did on the cross that makes you right with me. I've forgiven you. You just don't believe it. You just don't believe it. You're believing a lie that you have to work for it. You can't work for it. You cannot work for it. I have completely forgiven you of your sins. And when you let this you know, get into your DNA, I'm telling you, it could change life. Listen to what he says in verse 14, Colossians 2. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Every charge, every sin I've ever done was against me. Every sin I will do, have done, and will do is all against me. Every sin written down is a charge. Here's your account. Look at all the sins you've done. And you know what Jesus did on September the 2nd, 1997 for Daniel Lucas? He expunged my record. He cleansed it. He erased every single one of them. We're like, but that's not right. That's not fair. Honey, that's called grace. And it's the grace that saves you through faith, not your works. You can't earn your salvation. Your works can't keep your salvation. And it's only by the grace of God, watch this, you'll never lose your salvation. And people just don't understand that. And when you get that, I'm telling you what, this would change how you live going every day. Yeah, I've blown it. But God has forgiven me completely. And when you understand that and get that, that will change your life, how you live and how you feel. Which leads to my third one. And this is, this is a kicker off that. Because he's forgiven me completely, watch this. He forgives me repeatedly over and over and over. Over and over and over. Did you know that Jesus prays for you? Hebrews chapter seven tells us that when he saves us, look at this, he lives, he lives forever to intercede with God, watch this, on your behalf. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for you, interceding for you, because he's gonna forgive you repeatedly over, even though you mess up, right? God, it's me again, God, I did it again, God, I said it again, God, I thought it again, God, I tried it again, and you're like, and like, that's just, you know, all of a sudden you start feeling guilty because like, man, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I shouldn't be doing this stuff and I messed up. And you know that he forgives us over and over and over. You see, before I gave my life to Jesus, the Bible says I was an enemy of God. If there's anything on this world that you do not wanna be, you do not wanna be an enemy of God. And so I was an enemy of God, child of wrath. But I gave my life to him, and when I did, he put me into the family. He adopted me, and now I'm an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter, and now I'm adopted in the family. And watch this. My relationship would never change. I can never undo what Jesus has done. When he puts me in the family, I'm in the family. How do you know I'm saved? Because I'm still saved. I'm still falling after Jesus. And people says, well, I know people have walked in the aisle, said a prayer, and they're on fire for God, and they're on fire for Jesus, and then two years later, they're out living like a hell, and they don't even live for Jesus. Now, they lost their salvation. Honey, the Bible tells us they never had it. The Bible says, John says, the reason why they went out from us is because they never really were part of us. When you understand Jesus and get it, you don't flirt and see how close to sin you can do. Some many people say, how, how much sin can I do and still be saved? Like, how, how much sin? Like, how close do I have to be? And so, so many people want to get close to, the, to sin in their life instead of staying back away and saying, God, because of you, I don't, it's not that I want to sin. I want to stay away from it. It's not how close I want to get to it. 
That's how far I can stay away from the sin that's in my life. I don't know what in the world is going on with this man. What are you doing? See the devil trying to play some Marvin Gaye or something. I don't know what this is. How's it even playing? How's it even playing? Turn down. Play. I don't know what in the world. Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams without us is playing on my iPhone. I'm sorry. I'm just, I mean, what is this? Wait to date night tonight. Hang tight. Hold up. What's up? All right. Back here with me. All right. We got to put that one online. Okay. Anyway, listen. But watch this. I want you to see this. So if I'm adopted into the family and my DNA, I'm an I'm, I'm, I'm adopted son, then why do I confess my sins? If God has forgiven me of all my sins, why do I confess it? I think it's a very valid question. It's a question I asked when I got saved. If God forgave me of all my sins, this is 25 years ago, then why do I even confess it? First John 1, 9. This is to believers. Look what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And watch this. See this word? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. As a Christian today, when I confess my sins, I don't confess my sin for my relationship. I'm already adopted. I confess my sins for fellowship between me and my Father. When you have broken fellowship between you and God in your life, it's always because of sin. You are as close to Jesus as you wanna be. And when you don't wanna get close to Jesus, normally it's because we have sin in our life that we haven't confessed. That's why I believe in rapid repentance. Like when you sin, confess it. I don't care if you're at work, whatever happened, and with your spouse, if you had an argument, you said something, you're like, you know what, I shouldn't have said that, I'm gonna repent of that, I'm sorry. Rapid repentance. I tell our staff all the time, you gotta stay clean and close. You gotta stay clean and close to Jesus. How do I do that? When I, when I blow it, confess it. Why? To restore fellowship. Now watch this, I love this, that word cleanse. Now watch this, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. That word is written, watch this, in the present tense, which it means today. Not that he had cleansed me. It's not written in the future tense. Not that he will cleanse me. It's written in the language of present tense and a constant form, which means this. This is so good. That when I confess my sins, watch this, the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing me over and over every present day. So when God sees me, Watch this. He sees his son's blood shedding for me. He sees his son in me. When God sees you, watch this. He sees that in you. And he forgives you repeatedly over and over and over. And I know what you're saying. That's just not right. That's just not fair. That's called grace. That's called grace. Now, why would you not want to come and know Jesus? Why wouldn't you run to Jesus? Why wouldn't you give your life to Jesus? He's gonna forgive me of all my sin, cancel out hell, and guarantee me heaven. Who watches? I don't mean to mean by that, but who in their right mind would deny that and not want that? Which leads to my last point is that God forgives me freely. He forgives me freely. It didn't cost me nothing. In Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, he was so rich, God was so rich in his kindness and his grace, watch this, purchased. He bought my freedom. Think about that. He bought my freedom with the bloodshed of his sons 
to forgive me of my sins, of my sin, of your sin. He purchased my freedom. Watch this. It cost him everything. And you know what it cost me? Just to humble myself and receive it. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross. As you die to yourself and say, I'm gonna receive the grace of God. So I, what I have to deny is myself and say, Jesus, it's gonna be you, not me. And it cost God everything, even his own son. Who would neglect such a great salvation? That's how much he loves you. I'm gonna ask you boys just for a moment to bow your heads. couple things. One, if you're a believer here watching online, one of our campuses, I want you to hear this. God forgave you completely, freely, repeatedly, and generously. Live like it, being under His grace constantly. Second, if you're here or watching online, watch this, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you know what he says? Father, I wanna forgive them. I've paid everything and made the way. All they need to do is repent and believe in me. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if that's you, right where you said at any of our campuses or watch online, you could do that right now. Just cry out to Jesus. And here's what you need to say, Jesus, I believe. Go ahead. Say, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, as best I know how, I repent of my sins and I put my faith in you. Now help me follow you all the days of my life. Now listen, all of our locations, and online, no matter where you are, if you're watching this, we wanna know that God is doing a work in your life. And I want you to do me a favor so I can pray for you. But if that's you today and you said, Daniel, for the very first time I gave my life to Jesus and, and today it made sense to me and I, I repented of my sin, I put my faith in Him. If that's you, then I want you to do me a favor right now at all of our locations, I want you just to raise your hand. Just raise your hand, come on, raise your hand. Get it up there. Awesome, get it up there. Just raise it up there so I can pray for you. At all of our cameras, even online, if you're watching, let us know in the chat. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you so much for your word and how relevant it is. I pray, Father, we never get over the cross. For the next several weeks, Lord, we're gonna be looking at it. What an awesome opportunity to bring our family and our friends and our loved ones who don't know you as we're gonna celebrate Easter every Sunday for the next several weeks. I pray that we receive this forgiveness, Lord, that we would understand how much you loved us and you've forgiven us completely and freely and generously. And God, constantly over and over and over because of your grace. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do through this series, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name we ask and we pray.